0: preface this at the beginning by pointing out that we have had a podcast in the past. I think I've worked out we know known each other about five years, although that feels a really long time. Um, but I'll preface this by saying that we have done a podcast before and we have talked extensively about some of the subjects we're going to cover here. We don't agree entirely on all of them, but the point of this isn't for me to give my opinion. The point of this is to kind of get your side of things and hear about uh, your experiences and your opinions. So Jess, how are you?
1: I'm very I'm I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Thank you so much for asking. How
0: are you? <laughs> I'm loving life, honestly. It's um it's a complete difference from my usual stay at home, have no friends, talk to nobody. <laughs> so what I want to do is I want to start off, make sure everyone has a full introduction to who you are and sort of where you've come from with regards to modeling, influencing and so on. So let's start off with how you became interested and started modeling.
1: So I started modeling um sort of like five years ago, it, it intentionally, it, it, I never intentionally meant to start modeling. I was, um, I think it was, a, a sort of, it was a hobby alongside my university, um, course and I sort of started building a portfolio, I rather enjoyed it. And then it became, it, it became a career, um, sort of off the back of me, just kind of bombing around in my little Hyundai and then, and building a portfolio with all these different photographers you included, um, and the influencing stuff sort of built up alongside it. The more of the portfolio I built, the more images I had, therefore the more content I had that I could post online. So that's how I kind of got to where I am now.
0: And you ended up being signed by BMA, I believe. Um, how did that come about?
1: So, um, I sort of, uh, that's actually one of the crucial elements of social media that I was really pleased with. I, uh, applied, I wouldn't say, well, I sort of, um, they, yeah, I, I basically applied to a competition that they were, they were running called Pick Me BMA and I won and I became, they, they signed me onto them as an influencer, but I'm still also, uh, but the modeling thing was kind of took a back seat. They said we weren't hundred percent sure. They weren't hundred percent sure if they could get me work as a model because of my height and because of my size. So they signed me as an influencer, but nevertheless, they've still been getting me work as a model. So yeah, that was, um, that was one of the great parts of social media. I'm not sure I would have been signed otherwise.
0: Your height. What's wrong with your height?
1: I'm five. I'm five five, and their their minimum requirements um, are five seven to eight.
0: Because you you can super tell in photos for sure.
1: <laughs> well, this is one of the things. This is one of my big sort of like gripes with the whole height standard. Thing, like exactly that. It's like you can't even tell. You can't tell in commercials. You can't tell in ecom. You can't tell in campaigns. But for some reason, it is still a massive like pointer whenever, like one of the reasons I've not been um, signed by a few other agencies abroad is literally because I don't re- that, reach that um, standard. It's really, really frustrating.
0: I think what would happen is you would get signed and it would be like, see, height's not a problem. But then your first job would be to be to stand next to a measuring stick and it would just all go out the window. You'd be in trouble.
1: <laughs> like, It's like, it's absolutely perfect. Oh no. Oh, that's a <laughs> tragedy. <laughs> like, immediately. Like, although, although we needed like the face, I could literally, that face would be perfect, but it's just the height, the height. You just, you, you fell, you fell short. You fell short quite literally.
0: So how much did modeling sort of differ from what you expected when you came into it to what it actually is?
1: Um, I guess the thing about, it's like the thing with anything you see the sort of, um, the, the. I guess the portrayal of what modeling is, you know, it's very, uh, very tall, very slim models. Um, the kind of people that walk catwalks at New York fashion week, and you kind of assume that is the only like brand of modeling that you can get into. And then you get into it and you realize there's obviously all these different arenas and all these different spheres that you can get involved with. Um, and curve modeling, to be honest, wasn't big on the scene as far as I was aware, a, like, and when I sort of came into it, there was a few sort of like curve bloggers. There was a few curve models like dotted around the world, but none, none that were really, really massive at the time. Now it's kind of the scene has exploded um, to the point where it almost feels, it, well, it's, it's very normal. Um, so I guess I was expe- definitely expecting like, I was definitely expecting to be doing a lot more catwalks. Right. You see loads of catwalks. You think, oh, catwalks, that's just that's just it, right? It's just catwalks. No, it's it like it completely took me by surprise the amount of like the, the different areas that they need models for. I mean, I've modeled for some really bizarre stuff. I modeled for um like a, like literal, like it was a piece, it was, it was what looked like a, a grass, but it was cut into the shape of a human and you could take it out into the middle of the city and you could lie it on the pavement and that would be your own little patch of like Countryside in the city. I literally can't even. Exp- I'm going to have to send it to you after this. It's the most the maddest thing I've ever done. But things like that.
0: <laughs> I mean, right now in the middle of in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic, it sounds like that's what people should be carrying around with them, so that they're allowed to have their own patch of grass, but not share it with <laughs> <of> anyone else.
1: <laughs> Actually, that's that's the thing. It's like it's almost like they predicted it. It's like it just it was just before its time. That's all.
0: Conspiracy theory. <laughs> Um, exactly. So moving on from modeling then, obviously the role of uh, an influencer is something that I've pretty much spent about four years trying to work out what the fuck is going on with it. So if you can explain to me as best as anyone can, what the, what the role and the point of an influencer is and what the difference is between a model and an influencer.
1: So the, the difference between a model and an influencer, I suppose the thing is nowadays, you'll find that a lot of model like modeling actually kind of the blur between the line between modeling and influencing is becoming ever so much more blurred. Um, and actually now it's a requirement by agencies for models to have a certain amount of followers. Well, not, they, they have to have some online presence, um, which is, I mean, or, it, or it, at least it benefits them for sure. I mean, you could have a, you could have an amazing face and no online presence and you will be expected to get an Instagram account or a Facebook or whatever it is, a TikTok account now, isn't it? Um, uh. so I guess now I get like the role of a model in my view is to be the face or to be the physical kind of, um, the physical kind of like maybe entity to, to a product. And then the influencing side is part of the marketing side of the product. So for me, when I'm a model and I turn up on set, my role is to be there as a sort of human kind of prop essentially, um, to kind of sell a product Whereas, um, I guess that's the modeling side of it. Whereas the social media side for me, it's kind of under my own steam and my own control. I, and, um, a brand will give me a product that I then have to kind of find ways to market it myself. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the difference. I would say the main difference is, mo- is modeling as the human prop side you don't have any kind of, you don't really have any say in that process. Whereas the social media side, you have full say in that process. People hire you because you have a particular style or influence. I mean, literally influence, um, or, you know, maybe you have a certain like demographic of followers and that's what they hire you for. That's what they want.
0: So being an influencer is more creative than being a model.
1: Um, I would say, I would say definitely. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes, it is. Because well, for me, in my personal experience, when it comes to modeling, I will, um, like I'll turn up on set and everything's down to the director or, you know, the sort of stylist and the production assistants that, that whatever they want in that, from that, um, picture, that's what, that's what I have to put up with. If I don't like the makeup, that's really not down to me. Um, unless it's a specific kind of, you know, there are some, there are some, um, campaigns where you can do that and you can have, you do have a little bit of a say, but most of the time, not really. Um, whereas with the social media side, I have complete, I have pretty much complete control. Like they'll give me a pair of trousers and then I have to find a very, my own unique way of styling those trousers. I mean, or in my case, lingerie most of the time, but yeah, um, that's, that's essentially how it's spun.
0: And something that I think is not talked about anywhere nearly enough is the sort of ethical responsibility of product promotion and being an influencer. Um, I remember going back a few years when Fit Tea was a thing and the girls were going around pretending that they really enjoyed having diarrhea um, as a way of losing weight. Um, what, What should, in your opinion, obviously, but what should influencers be doing ethically when it comes to sort of product promotion?
1: I think um, at the moment, so we have, we have, we, we've, there's definitely been like a massive sort of come down. Like if you, if you post a product now, um, you have to, you have to by law obviously put these things like hashtags and whatnot. Um, or at the beginning, you put things like uh, there's something up the top which is paid partnership. Um, Instagram's pretty good at flagging when what you're doing is a sort of, like paid for paid promotion. It's like, so it's the partnership between the influencer and the brand. Um, That's a really, that's a really critical, crucial point So the brand have to stress to the influencer that it is crucial that they let people know that this is a paid promotion, that this is something that they are being paid to promote. Um, But also as, uh, for example, from my own personal perspective, I try to only Sort of, um, I only promote things that I would personally use or wear. Um, One of the things that I don't particularly like is that I've seen a lot of influencers, and there was a particular video that came out recently of an influencer, I'm not quite sure who it was, but it's out there on the internet, basically saying that she didn't use the product. I believe it was some sort of, as you say, like a fit tea thing. And she was sort of saying, oh, you know, like, I mean, I don't use it, but who cares, you know, right. It's, you know, I'll just, I'll just say I do. And, and, you know, it's, it's money. And there was, it was this kind of like, they were, if she was being filmed in a kind of lighthearted meeting, it was quite insidious. So I think it's important on the, on the behalf of the influencer to, I mean, like really try to, st- you don't, it's it's not, it's not a requirement, but I would say it was, it's best in in terms of ethics to maybe stick to promoting things that you would personally use because the difference between an influencer and like, say a, a normal commercial ad or, you know, whatever is that an influencer, the way that you're selling things to people is you're using your very own brand. Like you're being pitched as a relatable character online. And therefore I think that there should be more ethics involved in how you sell things to your followers, your demographic, particularly when it comes to like my sort of account, which is very focused on like body, like body confidence or, um, you know, kind of trying to sort of speak to my my followers in a more personal way. I try to make sure that I would only talk about products that I would actually use. If that, does that make sense to you?
0: Yeah, 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 no, it does. I think it's kind of it comes across as if it's uh brands are monetizing the trust you have from your following. Yes. And that obviously if you breach if you breach that trust, then that's where it becomes unethical.
1: Well, that's 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 exactly what I'm trying to say. You put it you you say things so much more like fluidly than I do, but that's, that's essentially it. And I think like, that's where it's, that's where it becomes my responsibility then to make sure that I'm not taking advantage, um, to the point. I mean, cause I, I, am not saying my followers are stupid. I don't think that for a minute, I know, mean, as long as I sort of do say this is a paid partnership, I'm not, I don't think that they're gonna, you know, they're not all kind of puppy dog eyes and idiots, but I think that it's just having that aspect of, I'm not going to abuse your trust by, by I'm not going to start selling, um, I don't know, slim fast. You know, I've been asked to do numerous different slim fast campaigns and like boat box ads and whatnot. Um, and that's where you have to start to sort of be careful. And, you, and also, the other thing is if you start selling those sorts of things, your reputation and, you know, their trust in you definitely diminishes very, very quickly. So you have to, you sort of, you've got to be clever about how you do things, but yeah, it is important not to, not to take advantage in that way.
0: Well, you you touched upon body uh, positivity, body confidence just there. Um, For people that don't know, which I can't imagine there's many, but I like to make sure that all bases are kind of covered. Um, What is the sort of body positivity movement?
1: So the body positivity movement, um, I think there is, I mean, currently there are different spheres of it and there's a lot of um, online debate with regards to body confidence and body positivity, uh, fat acceptance, this sort of thing. So body positivity, um, is revolves around the idea that there was that, well, it it originated in 1970s in New York. And there was a group of, um, self self sort of like, um, like they called themselves like sort of fat activists. And their idea was that they sort of, they didn't want, they wanted to be able to be, they wanted to be seen equally within society and not discriminate, not not discriminate, sorry, my my brain's moving very quickly and my mouth is not keeping up. Um, so they want, they wanted to be seen um, as equals within society, not discriminated against down due to their weight, the body confidence, um, sort of sector online, which is what a lot of people will see on social media is basically, um, kind of the normalization of the human body, the normalization of, um, the most as the female body. There's not, I have not seen a lot of, um, a lot of men in, within the movement. I've not seen a lot of male representation within the movement. Um, so it's basically, yeah, the normalization of the human body and talking openly about the human mod, the human body's like functions and dysfunctions and cellulite and that sort of thing, wrinkles and all this, all the stuff that the human body naturally does the stuff that we don't usually see reflected in modern day marketing and technology.
0: Why do you think it's not represented particularly highly by men?
1: Um, I think it's because, um, I think, uh, I, do you know what? It's an interesting question. Um, I used to think that it was because men didn't have as much of an issue with their bodies as necessarily women, but I think it's actually because they just don't, there's not a lot of men out there that feel particularly confident in coming out and talking about, um, their insecurities with regards to their bodies. I think it varies from person to person, obviously. I'm not speaking about them as, you know, as a whole, but it's, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I think it's generally because a lot of them don't feel super comfortable about coming out and saying, Hey, I don't, I don't care about the spots on my ass. And, you know, I don't care about my, you know, male pattern baldness. You know, a lot of them just aren't, they don't really want to come out and talk about that, you know? So I think that's, that is how i feel about it at the moment but yeah i'm not sure as a whole
0: i certainly think it's reflected in the way that people discuss the differences between men and women now in this obviously yeah. like like you just said there's no all we're not speaking about an entire group or any, anything like that but in generalities i think that it's much more acceptable for me to go online and post about a guy being fat a guy being bald a guy having spots or having you know whatever wrong with him or even is something as incredibly pathetic as talking about like penis size it's all of those things are sort of socially acceptable to bring up publicly and mock someone over a lot more so than um than bringing up any problems with a female um one thing that i have noticed and and a point of Uh, contention for me with the body positivity movement is sometimes it feels like some of the ambassadors like to promote negative actions from a positive movement. So they'll, they'll make comments about people that are skinny or people that have, you know, have some of those normative qualities that have been you know perceived to be accepted for a lot longer there seems to be a movement of a very small minority of people that want to go and tell women to eat a sandwich um, or get some meat on her bones things like that how do you sort of feel about people that turn a positive movement into a negative
1: yeah it's absolutely it's it's really frustrating and i think this happens a lot in large scale movements you obviously have that sort of minority of people that um that will then turn that movement into something else. And unfortunately that can often become the front runner of that movement when actually the majority of people understand that all bodies are, are real bodies. I really, I, I mean, you see this all the time, um, you know, real, yeah. Like, like you said, real women, have meat on their bones, you know, real women have curves, all this kind of stuff. It's like, there are no qualifiers to what constitutes as a real human body. Like real human bodies are like real uh, human bodies. There's absolutely like, and I can't stand this, um, sort of, um, superiority complex when it comes to what constitutes as the best kind of body. That's the exact opposite of what the movement is supposed to be about. Um, is about is about putting qualifiers on what mean what it means to have a a body that's worthy of attention from from anyone is 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 completely is completely bullshit. The whole point is that it's teaching people to come to accept their bodies, whether that's neutrally or positively um, and not, uh, not having their bodies be the main central focus of like their everyday activities. Of course, that is something that I talk about a lot online, but my main concern is just to try and get people to stop allowing that being the thing that takes front and center every single day, if that makes sense. Like I'm just trying to kind of normalize people's bodies in a way that they can accept them. But yeah, no, sorry. With regards to your question is, it's really, really frustrating. And I absolutely do not, in any way, um, encourage it. I, I really, really hate it. And i talk about it quite, I have talked about it quite a lot, especially recently because my following has been growing and there have been more and more people coming in and saying, you know, yeah, no, you're, you're the example of what a real woman looks like. And I'm like, I don't even know what that really fucking means. <laughs> like, that's, Real women and real men are real women and real men. It's ridiculous.
0: I mean something that's kind of often pinned to body positivity is the the sexual preferences of people being important to how they look. So with regards to like the real women have meat on their bones. There's quite often the sort of the the prefix to that which is that men prefer women with meat on their bones, you know, comments like that where it's um there's almost like the value of what you are as a person is pinned to your sexual uh, proclivity, I guess, or your the, the amount of people that are after you in 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 the sense of sexual attraction. How do you balance something like the difference between people's right to preference when it comes to their you know their sexual preference, what people find attractive, but also controlling the self esteem of a larger group?
1: Oh my gosh, that's a really good question, and I hope I answer it well. So I think. Um... With regards to preference, I always I always support the view that preference is completely down to the individual. Um, and like when it comes to, uh, I know what you mean in terms of like you know there may be there's the, there's this idea that beauty there's a certain type of beauty that is very very kind of like that is that is chased by everyone, and then you have like the kind of normative population. Um, I think that I think it's. I think that preference again. Like, I can't. I can never speak for like. You know, this is what you should like. This is what you should find attractive. Because I would never ever expect anyone to say that to me. Like, I would never want anyone to like try and control what I find attractive. I'm. I mean, my what I find attractive as I've gotten older has definitely expanded. But it doesn't mean that like I would still want anyone to try and step in and say this is what you should find attractive. You know, and if you don't find this type of person attractive, that makes you, you know, you're discriminating against that person. Um, I think that it's, oh gosh, I'm trying to answer it. I'm trying to answer it well. Um, So you said, you said, um, how do you, how do you like, this is the second part of your question I'm struggling with. So it's the...
0: How do you balance the difference between people's right to preference, but also controlling a general self-esteem?
1: So yeah, I, I mean, it's it's everyone has their right to preference. However, I, I do understand that there are people out there that will find it difficult because you know the general the general preference tends to focus on a specific standards of beauty, um, and that can that can be very frustrating. I think. I think it's, I think the whole, the whole wider point of my, of my journey on like body positivity or to like, to like educate people is to also try and expand their view on what beauty actually looks like. I know that obviously there is, there's, there's, there's a lot of argument for, you know, um, what people naturally find attractive, what people's natural preferences are when it comes to beauty. But I hope that as this body positivity movement grows and as the body confidence movement grows and it becomes, because at the moment it's in its infancy and it's not a particularly... I wouldn't say it's the most sophisticated like movement yet but I think as things as time goes on and as people start to become a bit more comfortable with it and start to kind of find their feet with it we can start to actually try and expand people's view of what conventional beauty looks like and therefore um maybe kind of again expand you know like get people to sort of look at what beauty is in a different way. I hope that makes sense. Like it's just trying to kind of grow the positive body positivity movement in a way that means that people will start to expand their points of view in terms of like what they find attractive and what they don't. I hope that that answers your question.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, the one thing I've always found quite interesting is that there is an idea that the standards that have been set up are something that have been set up by sort of the everyday man and women have to adhere to it and i understand i'm not i think because we've talked at length before i don't need to clarify that i ha- i do know my stuff when it comes to the history of human interaction to an extent i'm not i'm it's not my first day <laughs> but uh, the idea that the magazine covers that are decided by like Vogue or Harper's Bazaar or or Cosmopolitan are a bunch of plumbers and builders sat around deciding how women should look is obviously absolutely ridiculous. And it's something I think the body positivity movement could really do with revising. Um, this idea that men sit around and demand that women look a certain way, the average man is just honestly absolutely ridiculous at this point and constantly taxing people of this generation for the the sins of of people from hundreds of years ago or even 50 years ago is just daft if you i think if a movement wants to move forwards it has to ad- adapt to what it has in front of them and fix what's in front of them we can't fix the past you know you can't stick 6 million germans on a train and it just makes what happens in the 40s okay it's mm-hmm. about addressing what's in front of us. And, and I, I, I do think that one thing that drives me absolutely mad is that the idea that the average guy on the street is the person that is deciding what's on the front of magazine covers, which therefore is inhibiting every woman's opinion of themselves and, and affecting their self-esteem. That's the one thing that I do find constantly kind of bugs me.
1: Cumbersome. Sure. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I, would, I would definitely... I did, sorry, did you, were you finished or did I just completely cut across you then?
0: No, you're all good. You go for it.
1: Um, I was going to say, yeah, I think um, one of the things, especially coming into the industry and being more kind of involved with it, you do start to sort of see that a lot of the structures, especially within magazines, I mean, magazines still have a huge influence, but particularly, you know, I mean, they've just moved online now, um, that, you know, a lot of these teams are teams of women. And I mean, like, I think in my kind of, like, in my, definitely in my journey um, through this industry, I think that, um, I think that of course, like, I think, I think like conventional beauty standards are reinforced by both, like you know, like both men and women. And when people talk about patriarchy, I think that there is often a very kind of like there's a lot of like the, you know the hackles go is it the, the the hackles go up or the heckles I can't remember the word <laughs> um, like you know and everyone gets very kind of like awkward. Um, but actually, like when I say patriarchy, I think within that there is a lot of reinforcement from women, um, that there is a, what, there is a certain type of beauty that people have to adhere to. I mean, a lot of these teams that I've worked with are women and they are still there, you know, they, there is a lot of responsibility there on the side of women, um, in, in regards to like, um, setting these very, very, um, these, these sort of like peripheral standards that absolutely do not like, like not everyone can reach. So I completely agree with you. I think, I think the frustration when it comes to the average Joe, as you were just mentioning was that, you know, they're kind of, I think a lot of the time they seem to be the kind of front runners for the frustration because they, um, are the ones that, for example, they're the ones that come into my inbox, and they're very, they're the ones that are sending me sort of like the dick pics and whatnot. Um, but actually <laughs> it's it's um it it's actually like sort of it's not necessarily them that are kind of like setting these standards if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So it's it's just it's interesting because I remember when we had our last conversation. It's it's just funny because time moves fairly quickly, and I think attitudes shift, and I have learned a great deal. And it's just like, you know, especially about this industry, about what, where these standards are actually coming from. And yeah, it would be, it would be unwise to focus all my energy just on that one, just on that one place. Because a lot, as I said, a lot of these teams I work with are women. So.
0: Well, I think quite often that the the comparison is wrong in terms of how men are treated and how women are treated in the sense that I think we compare the wrong subjects so if you mm. compare women's beauty standards to men's beauty standards it's it's a non-competition but there's a pretty good reason for that and that's money money creates competition and that creates that creates an imbalance in you know men aren't selling beauty products based on competing against other men that's not how we do it it just it doesn't speak to the general populace male psyche whereas with women a lot of the beauty and fashion side of things to me is very much competitive. I mean, I don't think it's just me. If you see a film like Neon Demon, anything anything that's kind of a, a darker look at the fashion world, it's very much about the competition between women within the fashion or beauty industries, and that can be down to consumerism, the, the the competition to be able to buy the most expensive of a particular product that will somehow elevate you above another woman that can't afford it or can't get uh, can't get hold of it or whatever. And I actually think if you compare the female beauty industry to male sport industry, it actually makes more sense. Because what it is, is a lot of gatekeepers making a lot of money out of the comp- the competitive element between men. And I think that that's where the beauty industry is with women. I think it's about... I don't want to use the words too lightly, but I think it's definitely about some competitive element between women in, in probably a, quite a carnal sense. It's quite easy to monetize because if you get one woman to compete against the other and the winner is the one who spends the most money, then the person who's selling the product wins. Mm. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, it completely does. and I've, ne- I've, I don't, I've never actually heard it being compared between beauty and sport and I think you're right. I think that's I think a lot of the time we very it's very focused on um what matters, you know, what matters to that particular gender. Um and then of you know, to women often it's beauty. And I think that that's often like kind of set in um, this idea that, you know, the woman who attracts the most, cause I think, I think a lot of the time, I know, I know that you mentioned, you know, you don't want to you don't want to necessarily reflect on things that happened 50 years ago, but I still think there's this entrenched notion of whoever's the most beautiful, you know, it gets the, gets the best man. And, you know, the best, the man who is the best sport is the strongest, the fastest, you know, the best. But I love this idea of like comparing, cause you're absolutely right. Beauty just like like to, like beauty and sport are much better ways of actually kind of is a, 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 you know kind of litmus test is a litmus test between you know what actually matters to both genders. Um, yeah, no, I think that's I think that's completely right.
0: Uh, that's the last time I'm going to jump in with any opinions because this isn't about me. Um, one thing I do want to ask you uh, is um, about the, okay, I, I've got this written down in my notes as literally just two words, and I don't really know how to approach the subject, but I'm going to give it my best shot. And this is all off the cuff because I've got to try and make this as as polite as possible. What What do you make of this sort of uprise of OnlyFans and the popularity of people making money through sites like OnlyFans?
1: I fully encourage it. (laughs) Um, I think that, um, I think this is the thing I think like it's a conversation I've had recently with, um, with a, a couple of people and there's definitely been a lot of debate on it, particularly in the kind of freelance photography world that I've seen going on online. Um, I personally don't take issue with it. I think if you, if, if women, um, I've, I've, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming we're talking about women more because that's, that's, they're the more popular sort of people that are on there. Uh, I've seen a lot of models doing it as well. Um, I think that if that's something, if they want to capitalize on their sexuality, um, then, I mean, do it like at the end of the day, there are lots of people out there who are sending nudes for free and getting absolutely nothing in return. Whereas if you can get paid for your nude, like why not? I don't have, I don't take issue with OnlyFans. Like I really think that ultimately it's quite a wise move to capitalize on, on the fact that you, like, I mean, at the end of the day, like you know, there are girls on there who are making like a thousand pounds a day and they're absolutely like, at the end of, like there are people who can criticize them, but they're making a, a lot of money now, whether or not it's beneficial for them in the future or, or you know, whether having an OnlyFans is going to affect their work. I mean, that's really down to them. That's, that's, that's like the beauty of autonomy. I, I just don't have, like, I, I just don't see a problem with it. To me, it's the same. I support sex workers in pretty much any category. So I'm okay with OnlyFans.
0: Is there a danger with um, selling sex- sexualization? Is there a mm. danger that you're making yourself a product?
1: I think it's... Well, for, I mean, I don't have an OnlyFans. Um, and I think, again, it's that thing of understanding that women aren't... like. I mean, again, I, I don't want to generalize that you are suggesting we're talking about women, but I kind of assume you are.
0: Yeah, I am.
1: Um okay that's fine then. So um women are not like there's a word I'm I'm my brain is trying to reach um like not we're, oh uh, we're not like a monolithic group. So mm-hmm. in regards to product if 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 one woman or if like you know however many women want to start kind of making themselves into products um for the benefit of selling their nudes to men online that's absolutely down to them. But all I ask of, you know, people who see it is to understand that that doesn't necessarily mean that every single woman is then like falls victim to that, that the, the actions of these particular women, um, Mm. I fully support their decision, but that's their decision. I personally don't have an OnlyFans, um, because, um, brands don't tend to like it. And that is literally the, like, like, are probably the only reason I don't have one. Um, but yeah, that's all I would say to people is just try to understand that, of course, like I understand that people might see it that way, but ultimately we're not all one group, so.
0: Yeah, a lot of the comparisons I've heard with um, only fans obviously is is kind of similar to what you're saying the way i do kind of see it is it reminds me a little bit of the way that we sort of reference bankers and when we talk about bankers we're generally talking about the ones in like the late 80s early 90s that were complete dicks that you know they were testosterone filled assholes that caused so many problems and you know they were doing what they were doing to make money and that you know that's not always a good justification for people. And I, I I do agree with the freedom of movement. I personally couldn't care less about OnlyFans. I, I, yeah. I, if, we could, if we could move as much of the tasteless stuff off of Instagram and onto paid forums, then I'd be fine with that because it means that I can open my phone when I'm out in public and not have someone who I know who's just decided to start OnlyFans showing something that I really don't want to be on my phone. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's the side of it. I mean, that's the old school uh, prude in me that's not really a big fan of opening my phone to see someone's asshole but i'll probably just move on because that's that's such a such an eloquent quote to finish on i'll probably just leave that there <laughs> i want to ask you something that i think is probably quite quite important but maybe something you haven't been asked but you're going to tell me that you have been asked loads of times before is there a danger to a person's psyche given social media opens us up to such a, and when i say us i mean you um opens you up to such a huge volume of compliments can that oh, be yeah. damaging in a, in a narcissistic
1: sense Absolutely. 100%. I really, truly believe that. Um, cause I, I've, I've given, I've given some, some extended thought, particularly on, I nearly lost my Instagram. Uh, I think I want to say back in August, around August time. And, um, it gave, it gave me a real pause for thought on how I would, what kind of person would I be if all of the compliments and all of the kind of comments and all the likes suddenly got taken away Um, because we are like, we are suddenly living in this. I've got, you know, I've thought about this so much and I do have a lot to say on it. It's it's such a complicated and such an interesting issue because we've never had this level of adoration at our fingertips before. I mean, sure, celebrities did used to, but they were like one in a million. Now everyone can open themselves up to this level of adoration and it can develop a, a generation of, um, like potential like fairly like i wouldn't say, i think i think the narcissism aspect is definitely there, but I would say more vanity and it also creates um major insecurity um because it also like you the criticism is so little that it stands out so much more um and we all like i i definitely have thought to myself before like what would i you know how would I be without all of this interaction, without all of these people coming in and and telling me, you know, and complimenting me at the end of the day, I'm a human being. I'm not going to like sort of, I'm not going to beat myself up for, um, like, you know, like sort of enjoying it, but simultaneously I do have, I have thought to myself, you know, what, how would I be if if, if that wasn't, if I didn't have all of this, if I didn't have this kind of attention. And I hope sincerely that I would still be okay. I mean, you know, a big part of my, of of the social media life that I have is, is that it is my job. It's really crucial to me because I earn money through it. But, um, I think if my world suddenly went quiet in that sense, I have considered like, how would I, how would I, how would I react? I'd like to think I'd be okay. Um, but who, I mean, who knows, who really knows? So yeah, I do think it's, I do think it's a big problem. I think it is a, I think it's something that I, that it needs to be reflected on more. It needs to be more kind of pushed into people's psyches. Um, have you considered how you, how you'd feel without this? Are you, are you self-aware enough to live and, and be healthy enough Without all of these compliments and without all of these people around you constantly telling you every day how great you are, how inspiring you are, how beautiful you are, um, because you need to make sure that you are getting those things from alternative resources outside of social media. Otherwise, you will not have a fulfilling life. What if your account suddenly gets deleted? That's that's your that's your entire you know um, adoration network gone down. Are you going to be okay without that? If you and you know, like yeah, so it's it's a tough question, but it is one that I definitely have given some thought. And I think you're right. It's something we need to think about more.
0: I think like a lot of men, I take a lot of what I know about women, which is incredibly small. and What I don't know <laughs> about women could fill a warehouse. But what I do know about women from my wife is that I think women are much more attuned to bullshit. And I think they are much more switched on and they are also much better at hiding how attuned to bullshit they are. And one thing that concerns me and intrigues me quite a bit is there is I would say from my experience, a vast amount of this within the modeling community of false praise and a lot of people that will throw the most absolutely nonsensically overhyped compliments at each other online. And I think the breaking point for me, and I might be wrong here, but I think the breaking point for me is when I see people reposting compliments, like retweeting them or adding compliments to their Instagram stories where it starts to become incestuous, where it's like, well, if you put something on my feed and I can post that publicly, then I'll put something on your feed and you can post that publicly. And then everyone can see how much we're liked. And then the people that follow us will see that we reshare compliments. So they'll share. It doesn't feel like it's necessarily a positive movement in the sense of we're all being nice to each other because it comes with a veiled layer of People being mutually beneficial from dishonesty, mm. if that makes any sense.
1: Of course, it does. And yeah, I mean, I'm definitely. I mean, like, uh, I'm definitely guilty of this. Like, when people could tag me on, like, basically, they'll repost a post, they'll tag me, and then they'll write something um, about how you know that they, they they found my post inspiring. The reason I actually repost those posts is because it encourages, like, you know, people to repost my work um and if i if i reblog them then that kind of you see what i'm saying i think it's more mm-hmm. of a i would say it's more of a business strategy i know that sounds a little bit dishonest but I, it genuinely is like more of a kind of trying to like generate conversation around that post i just made um but i i think
0: there is one difference with you, though. There is one difference with you and with a few other people within the sense of whether or not I agree with you 100% on on anything or whether or not me and you would end up at the same viewpoint. The difference is, is that you are actively interested in self-esteem and the self-esteem movement. Therefore, you reposting something that is about a positive comment from one person to another that is in the interest of generating self-esteem could be perceived as being beneficial to just an overall understanding of that movement. And you're encouraging a certain type of behavior. Whereas I do think in most cases, these are people that aren't actively interested in other people's self-esteem. They're just interested in creating a market for their own.
2: Sure.
1: Um, Yeah, it's a very... uh, I mean, I think... Oh, possibly because the self-esteem, like I, I like my work is within the self-esteem category. I completely like agree. That is another reason I do it as well. Um, I, I like, I think um, it is, I think the other thing is that, it, it, so you like you, when you talked about narcissism. When you talked about this kind of idea of social media becoming this hub of compliments and, and niceties, that actually, like, when they get taken away, you start to realize like how authentic all of that was, and it really does take the. Like it, the, it pulls the rug out from underneath you. I've had, I've known some influencers who have had their accounts deleted, and of course, like you know, before that, with their hundred thousand followers, they would have compliments galore and DMs and direct messages telling them how great they were. And then once those accounts were gone, I mean. Of course, to a degree, their followers would have just lost them, you know. But uh, they said, you know, the emails stopped coming in, the the compliments, the kindness, the you know, once your number rating goes down on Instagram, then your value is uh, apparently is also attached to that, and how mm. how uh, how worthy you are of being like treated well is also also drops. Um, it's like a Black Mirror episode, and it is it is quite scary, but well, it's not quite scary. It's, 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 it's really scary. And the thing is, is that, I mean, this is now transferred over to TikTok now where kids have like, you know, very, very young kids are doing this. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just this, it's just this constant, like, I know what you mean. It's this constant like mud slinging, but in a kind of, you know, of like glitter and pink and, oh my God, I love you. It's amazing. And it can feel very, yeah it can feel it can feel very galling and very sort of unnerving um how sort of over the top it is off most of the time
0: something that i've always admired about you and obviously we've known each other for a few years but now you're a celebrity you don't talk to me anymore but all the time we have spoken to each other you've been very open to having um a difference of an opinion, which is actually quite rare these days. People don't like to hear the other side of what's going on. I'm certainly in disagreement with certain things that you say, you are certainly disagreeing with certain things that I say, but we listen to each other.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What's happened with that? Why don't people want to hear the other side? Why don't people want to hear the opposite of their own opinion? And do you think it's particularly important to expose yourself to alternative views?
1: Yeah, I, I'm. I'm absolutely of this opinion that you that it's absolutely crucial because a, it's going to prepare you for genuinely, um, genuinely like interesting intellectual debate. The other thing is that um, I think that people have a, I think that social media is a bit, is a big part of this, right? So you have your, you have your hub and you create, um, you, you like pages and you create an algorithm that basically feeds into your idea that you are right and that you have the right idea and all your friends have the right idea and everyone else is wrong. So when somebody dares to step into your bubble and maybe introduce the idea that you aren't right, it can be, it can feel really like, like it's really anger-inducing and galling and annoying. Um, because you have built this idea in your head and you've solidified this idea that you are you are right. And to have someone come in and tell you you're not is really, really annoying. Um, it's really, really frustrating. Nobody likes to be criticized. I actively seek alternative opinions because my... The way I can, the way I, for example, the way I speak to you, the way I have, a, like, talk to other people, like, would never have got off the ground if I was just constantly exposing myself to the same opinion over and over and over. I mean, I have learned, like, I mean, just because it goes against what I believe, I'll always, always listen to it because it might not be that I agree with that entire thing, but there's going to be a host of other things that I might learn from that particular person. Um... And I think the value of open debate in the way, particularly in the way that you and I like conduct our conversations or the way I listen I listen to podcasts with people I don't necessarily agree with from the absolutely mad like InfoWars Alex Jones. Um, <laughs> exactly yeah, to the, the incredibly kind of liberal. I mean like I mean obviously Alex Jones is extreme and and you know, then you listen to the very, very liberal, like for example, like one I listen to is Sophie Hagen and Um, it's just absorbing all of these points of view and then coming down either neutral or, you know, having at least an informed opinion on that topic, because truly, truly like, I don't really understand why you'd want to, other than because your own ego is telling you like telling you otherwise, why would you not want to know more about everything and everything? And and like, you know, everyone has differing opinions. Um, you know, there might be something that I'm really, I'm really interested in and, um, you know, somebody might come in and say, have you you seen it from this? Have you considered it from this perspective before? And I haven't.
0: I completely agree with the fact that it's important to kind of, uh, I think it's almost, um, you have to sanitize your opinions against the opinions of others and whatever doesn't hold... True against something else. If, if you listen to someone else and you learn something and that affects the way that you think about the things that you thought you knew about before that conversation. Well, what you've done is you've cleaned away some of the bullshit that you didn't realize that you were kind of putting out there. You didn't actually believe something as much as what you did. Or now that you have new information, you can adjust. I think people are just scared of adjusting. People like we're in a quote obsessed day where people all want to have the, um, the, the caption on their Instagram, or they want to be the person that puts something out there that makes other people quote it and share it, and and make other people aware that they said it. There's there's almost an intellectual pat on the back to being the person that said something that other people agree with. And when you create an echo chamber, it's very easy to do that because everyone's already of that mindset. So really, it's just the loudest person in the echo chamber will always feel like they're the smartest. And in fact, if you talk to someone that has a completely differing opinion to yours, it's much more interesting because it's firstly it's frightening because you, things that you would absolutely have bet your house on will change over time, no doubt. Your opinions change over time, even if you don't expose them to other people. But also you can just use the opportunity to learn about the motivation of someone that thinks differently. So two people can be absolutely right thinking the complete opposite thing because they're thinking about it from a different motivation. That's what's been lost in all of this is that two people can disagree on something and both be right
1: and it's exactly what you said as well about that echo chamber aspect you know that bit about where um, you know you you say a thing and then but if what you're saying is 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 as you as exactly as you just said the most sanitized version of of whatever it is you're saying and then of course you're going to get loads of praise for that because it's the most sanitized version it's it's it's, it's easy to say mm. and the people that i admire or the people that the very least you know I, I the ones that will go out on a limb and say something controversial. I mean, at that moment in time, you, it may not be the most popular opinion, but it may end up changing your. It, it, it's. I've I've seen the most incredible people online who have said something, and then you can. The at first, everyone sort of is very angry. You know, they take the piss, or that you know, and then eventually, like they come around to that way of thinking. I've seen some really, really interesting evolutions of certain podcasters and and you know on you know public figures online. Um, who started out with a really controversial opinion that then people came around to. Um, but of course, people are going to like, a, people do oppose, but you have to be prepared for that. At the end of the day, what it, you know, you, I think just have, it, if you, if you have the, the if you have the a strong enough chest to take criticism, that's absolutely crucial. And ultimately you're just going to be, you're just this kind of like jelly, like flip floppy type public figure. I mean, in the past I've said some really like, I mean, some, I mean, I know I still do like just very boring things, just very like middle of the road statements, you know, because I've just not felt like I just don't want to get criticized that day. I just don't want people to, you know, have a go at me. Um, it, but it's it's all about just kind of, you have to be open to other people's perspectives. I really do believe that. Otherwise, you're just not going to learn anything. And it's so boring living in an echo chamber. It really is.
0: I really like uh, Tom Segura's uh, idea for how you deal with when you have a massive disagreement with somebody over something political or anything like that. And you're in like a family setting or you're just out with friends and you say something. So you could say like, oh, I think this is a really good idea. And then the other person goes, oh, I completely disagree. And you go, do you know what? You just flipped me. I'm on your side now. And that just confuses everybody because what they want a lot of the time is they actually want that conflict. And if you just take away the conflict, you're like, okay, fine. I agree with you then. We'll just go from there people get upset because they don't have the conflict they're not necessarily bothered about changing your opinion they want the conflict
1: yeah they do if, yeah if i if i said something yeah exactly if you if and if, if i said something and then you suddenly went like oh yeah i i, I, I agree with you i'd go oh okay like okay like you, they actually people <laughs> actually enjoy it, it it's it's it would i would it would actually throw me off for you to suddenly go oh yeah no you're right like you're absolutely right about that thing. I'm like, oh, uh, um, okay. Like, there's actually a great set on sketch, a uh, sketch, sketch, sketch online of a woman who goes into going into a shop to complain, and the 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 shop assistant says, "No, you're absolutely right. Here's a refund, and also, you know, we'll, we'll you know, here's your next offer on the house." And she she sort of pauses and says, "Actually, I was really looking for a fight." She's like, "Oh, okay,"
2: <laughs> and they have
1: a. <laughs> They have a fight in the middle of the shop, But I completely agree with you. Yeah, people do actually, they, they they do want a little bit of that. They do want a little bit of conflict and debate.
0: So let's move away from all these touchy subjects that people are already riled up about and calling me a twat in the comments. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you on a photo shoot?
1: Oh my God, like funniest thing that's ever happened to me on a photo shoot? Off the top of my head, I'm trying to think. Oh my God, you're going to have to do so much editing on this bit because there's going to be a massive silent gap just like where Jess is just like, I don't know.
0: I'll just do, I'll do a flatline noise.
2: <laughs>
1: um, um, I did have a photographer once. I mean, this isn't particularly hilarious, but I suppose, you know, it was, it was, it was pretty bizarre. I did have a photographer once. I think I told you about this. Um, like I was in a, I was in a child's park with a bunch of kids running around and the photographer insisted, cause he didn't have a reflector. Um, he said, well, all I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the top of this child slide And I'm going to, I'm going to bend down. And I mean, his jeans were really tight. So that looked really weird. Um, you know, these kiddies running around. And he said, if you could just lie on the slide you know, on my front and sort of like do one of those very kind of, you know, the poses where you put your, the the sort of put your palms together and then lay, lay your head, lay your head on your palms. You know, the one, the really old Mm -hmm, school. Yep. Um, he had me do that.
0: Biblical sleeping. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, he had me like you, like doing that on a child slide to use the kind of like metal as the reflector while he stood at the top and all these kids were lining up behind him, waiting to go down the slide. And he just, it just wouldn't move for a good, like, I think, I mean, two minutes, but that's enough. Do you know what I mean? Before you, before the parents started coming over and saying like, do you mind, <laughs> do you mind like moving your model? <laughs>
0: I think any photo shoot story that starts with we were in a child's park is always going to be a winner.
1: <laughs> I really wish like that's the sort of question that you just think like, God, I know that I know that numerous like weird shits happen to me on photo shoots. But like, I mean, like everything from like funny, like creepy. I mean, I'd say that was a pretty that was a pretty weird like, yeah, that was a pretty weird one.
0: Um, going back in, if you were to go back to the start, I think he said about five and a half years, and and give yourself a piece of advice about what's kind of coming in the sense. Obviously, you'd warn them about not eating bats and coronavirus and whatnot, but um, what would you warn yourself about the future of modeling and and what you should be prepared for?
1: I, the one of the things I've learned, and in, maybe in the last year, and the thing I kind of wish I'd knew known before was there's this sort of atmosphere of over friendliness within the modeling community, the fashion community, and the beauty community. And it feels like there's an erosion of business. Um, you know, everyone's become a little bit too chummy and, you know, huggy and, you know, babes, you know, uh, most people, you know, a lot of brands and a lot of businesses that I speak to now, they kind of refer to me by like pet names and nicknames, which I find very strange and galling. Um, so one of the things I would say is try not to get caught up in that and remember that it's all business and don't allow yourself to stagnate just based on the fact that you feel like you should remain loyal to certain brands and certain businesses. if that makes sense. Um, oh, yeah. I think there was a big, there was quite a fairly long sort of like two to two and a half year period of my sort of five year career where I sort of stayed, stayed. I, I sort of stayed stagnant because I was concerned about offending people because they kind of came off as my friends when, in actuality, they are they are just businesses. Um, and I sort of I, I try and keep a much more business like approach to my clients um, and to my agency now, as opposed to before where I was very kind of um, I was a bit too I'd say I was a bit too close, a bit too friendly. Um, like that's from maybe that's from a personal perspective um but in regards to the whole in regards to the modeling community as a whole um I'm not sure what what would you is there anything that you can think of
0: well, do you know what I always think it's an interesting question to follow that up with, and i it probably will help you a little bit with your way of thinking on this um if you weren't paid ever again to model, would you continue to do it
1: I'd probably um, yeah, I probably would continue to do it, but maybe not on, obviously on, I mean, not on the scale that I'm doing it now. Um, but yeah, I really do love doing it. Um, there's a performative element to it that I really enjoy and I always have enjoyed. And like the first year I was doing it, I did it for free. So yeah, I would, I would still do it.
0: Because I think it's a, I think it's one of those jobs. It's a few. I think like being a professional footballer for little boys, being um, a model, or being a celebrity, or you know. I think they're now saying that the, the the first thing, the like number one aspiration of kids at school is to be like famous. Essentially, it's just to be a celebrity. So let's say to be a celebrity in some sense. There's this idea that it's such an amazing thing to be that you would do it no matter what, no matter how difficult it was, no matter how little money you made from it, you would give anything to kind of reach that point. Whereas in actual fact, when you get there, I think you realize that there are a lot of people, it's a career, it's a job. And in some cases, it's not one that they particularly enjoy. And if it wasn't as profitable, they just wouldn't touch. And I think that's something that surprises quite a few people when it comes to modeling, especially, is that there are quite a few women that model. And I'm saying women because men are very different in the modeling community generally. uh, But there are quite a few women in the modeling community that it's a job, and when they're done with it, they're done with it. They don't want nothing to do with it. They don't do any extra critics of time with it. The second the job's done, they go home. They don't discuss it, and if it doesn't make the money, they don't do it. Um, I think that's been quite the surprising thing I've learned over the last few years.
1: It's a really good point, and it's also one that it's interesting because you were sort of saying about um, you know there's this build up to modeling as though it is the dream job for any you know woman to have, and Um, you know, it's the career. If you make it as a model, then that sort of like, that puts you at the kind of like precipice of like, you know, like in terms of, in terms of careers, if you make it in that, then, you know, you've made it. But I think, um, it's like, I was going back to earlier, there's lots of different areas of modeling. And also I think that I personally, like, I mean, I personally do enjoy it. Um, but I think it's really insidious, this whole aspect of, you know, it is the dream career um, and putting it on this pedestal in the way that people do, because what happens is you end up with a load of people that want to do it so much that they will allow themselves, not allow themselves, because obviously this is completely, you know, it, it shouldn't happen, but they are exploited within an inch of their lives. And particularly women, um, you know, young models who desperately want to be models, who will, you know, sit in dark stairwells for hours waiting for casting agents to return and they won't eat and they won't, you know, they won't, they won't eat proper meals and they'll pay for things out of pocket or they'll get their parents to kind of like, you know, drum up the money for these portfolios and they'll get into mad debt. And I mean, there's a great book called, um, uh, I think it's, it's called like the model manifesto an anti-exploitation guide from A to Z, and it's just all the pointers and how to avoid being exploited in this industry. Because of course you can be exploited in any industry, but in this industry it is so it's so rife. And one of that one of the problems with creating this real kind of buzz around having a job like this one is that you end up thinking that it is so good that you' you're willing to give up your dignity your you know like huge sums of money um and you know and you fall for anything it is it's really really dangerous in that sense
0: I th- yeah I, I agree I think any dream job and I mean like there's only a few of these really any sort of long term across the board sort of vast majority of people would understand why it's a dream job anything like that, There's going to be a group of people that want to exploit it and a lot of people that will absolutely take everything they can from you to sell you the idea that they're going to get you there.
1: Um, yeah. And yeah, I think, I think the reason modeling has been sort of placed on this idea, I mean, not necessarily modeling, but celebrity or whatever, it's this idea that, you know, those people are the best at what they do. They're the best in terms of creativity, in terms of being the prettiest, the strongest, the fittest and all this sort of thing. But when you actually get there, yeah, it's, it's, it's like you say, it is genuinely a job. Um, and it's one that requires, you know, like it does, it just requires sort of business savvy and some, and you know, intelligence. But it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult job to maintain as well. I think that's the problem. It's when when you're on the job, it's not necessarily the most difficult job in the world. You know, there are difficulties, but it's not the most difficult job in the world. The most difficult part of being a model is, or being in a job like that, is actually maintaining that job. It's down to, it's often down to you to make sure that you are, um, kind of, you know keeping your clients and making sure that everything's clear cut and going well, if that makes sense.
0: When you get approached, and I'm assuming you probably do, but when you get approached by young women that are looking to get into modeling, do you encourage it or discourage it?
1: Um, so this is such a good question. And it's one that like, I, I mean, obviously it happens a lot. Um, and obviously I, I'm not, I'm not going to like go on that. I'm not going to go on their profiles and tell them whether or not they are worthy of, pursuing a job like that, um, because that's not my place. Um, they might have something to offer that necessarily, you know, so if they want to be a model, like I'm happy to give them advice, like, or at least I've, but the other thing that, because I got the question so much, I opened up an FAQ and I put it on there. So I sort of direct them there. And I think, you know, if they're willing to kind of pursue that branch of, you know, if that's what they want to do, then here is a sort of step-by-step on how I did it and whether or not they end up doing it is really down to them. Um, and it's something that I'm not going to say, no, don't, don't pursue it. It's not worth it because it's not re- again, it's not my place to put them off modeling or put them onto it. I just kind of say, well, here's how I did it. If you're willing to kind of put the work in, this is what it takes. And it does take time. Um, But I'm not going to sort of, I'm like simultaneously, I'm not going to hail it as the absolute only option. Maybe that person, what they really want is to have a, have a, have a following of some kind, which is often what they actually want to do. They often want to be like, they often want to have some sort of following, as you sort of mentioned earlier, have that kind of status of, you know, maybe it's kind of celebrity status or influencer status or whatever. And, and in a lot of cases, I've seen some great accounts. Maybe, maybe I'll say to them, well, what do you really want to do? Like, what's your passions? I, I like, you know, I like being a vet. It's like, okay, we'll be a vet and then, you know, create a following out of that. Um, so yeah, like, anyway, back to your question. No, I don't discourage it, but, you know, I'm not going to like turn them away. So I give them kind of the steps to do it. Um, but whether or not they actually do it is down to them. And i am completely honest, I don't think a lot of them do, you know, I think a lot of them want a, a magic sort of pill, if that makes sense. I mean, I've noticed that, uh, you know, I've got, I get a lot, of, I got one on purple port the other day, I, which doesn't happen too often. Um, and they don't even get back to me a lot of the time, you know, cause I think what they're hoping for is some quick stick, like, like, you know, a quick fire way of doing it. They want, how do you be a model? You take this magic pill and it happens. Okay, great, thanks. You know, actually it takes a lot of time and a lot of work and I don't think they're expecting that.
0: No, that, that's quite common. People want to have the, the quickest route to their their dream. And the thing is, like you said, about not holding people's hands through it um, and letting them find their own way is I think it's a real disservice to people if you do hold their hand too much through the early stages of something, because when you let go and life hits them, the, the hard time hits them, they're not going to be prepared for it at all. And it's probably going to hit them 10 times harder than it would if they'd have just learned the ropes themselves.
1: Absolutely, no. Completely agree. I do. I do try to like. I mean, that's the thing. I, I I, like. I've, I've, I've I've considered getting like a mentor recently. You know, someone who like is kind of doing what I want to do in the future, and then kind of like you know, taking advice from them. But I, I, I always think that like it's always worth doing things by yourself because once you once if you learn that and you get that experience, it's so it's so beneficial later on. Because when you're handed something, it just, it, it can blow up in your face. You just, you don't expect the hardships that come with it when you eventually are on your own and you will be. So,
0: so what are you doing to stay sane during this wonderful lockdown period?
1: Um, so I've got a few, um, like, you know, that bullshit people are like, well, man, if only I had the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, I literally like, I think I wrote something the other day, like, I guess I can't lie to myself about all the shit I do if I had the time. So like, cause I've been, um, I've been, the thing is when I, when it first started, I thought to myself, do you know what? I'm going to take some time to really focus on me, whatever that means. Um, and turns out focusing on me was just fucking doing absolutely nothing. Um, which was fine for, you know, a week and a half. And then you sort of think, do you know what? I think I actually need a little bit of structure. So I sort of wrote down everything and I'm, I'm, I'm i mean, I'm doing things that I always kind of wanted to do. Like I'm building a website. Um, I'm also building, uh, I'm, I'm sort of looking into building like a, a union for influencers because one doesn't exist yet. Um, which is just a place where people can go to kind of, cause you've got the actors union, you've got models union it's just a place for people to go where they can, um, you know, have discussions about brands and, you know, payment and whatnot and how not to be exploited because it's quite, it's quite pr- like rife within the community is to be exploited by brands. Um, and so projects like that, I'm also writing a lot. Um, I've got a couple of sort of ones a sort of passion novel. The other ones are kind of novel that I'm actually hoping might get published. Who knows? Um, so yeah, just writing, uh, creating stuff on, yeah, like creating websites, not creating websites, you know, using Squarespace, I'm not a website coder and yeah, just kind of doing stuff I always intended on doing when I didn't have the time when I was working. So yeah, just, (laughs) I am staying sane. I am staying sane. I am, I am, I am, I am. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um with with all due respect i completely understand the irony of what i'm about to say but if um i could ask you to help people find you online being obviously a much <laughs> smaller fish in that pond um i feel kind of ridiculous asking people that are so much more uh let's say famous just to annoy you people that are so much more famous than me where they can find you online so what are your social media links and so on uh,
1: um you can find me pretty much um Anywhere, just typing in Jess Megan. Um, like, I mean, on Instagram, it's Jess underscore Megan underscore. Um, TikTok, it's Jess Jessica Megan or Jess Megan. And um, yeah, you can find me that way on Twitter, Facebook as well. And I will soon have my own website, which I hope kind of boosts my professionalism in some way. Um, but yeah, that's how you. That's how you find me on pretty much any platform. <laughs>
0: I've never really understood how many models don't have websites. I've always thought it was really bizarre for someone that's trying to build up a personal brand to not have a website at all. But I guess I'm just very old school and I don't really understand the world anymore. I'm just the angry old man shaking his fist at a cloud at this point, I think.
1: it's. I love that. I just love that image of you shaking your fist at a cloud. It's so like... It's, no, but this is the thing I can't believe I haven't. I can't believe I never had one. It was a completely... It's just a completely bizarre thing. I guess I always... It's genuinely lack of discipline. That's the only excuse I have. Just lack of discipline. I just thought, well, you know, if they want to look at my work, they can just go to Purple Port and that's not obviously a good enough way place to go anymore. And and or if they want it, they can go to my agency website, which doesn't get updated regularly enough. So now I'm like, well, if I had my own website, I can put everything on there it's all under my own steam. And yeah, that's, that I can maybe even start doing mailing lists and so on. It just seems mad that I haven't done it before.
0: Well, Jessica, it's been absolutely wonderful to have you on. That's the only time in history I've ever called you Jessica and I'm going to stick to it. Um, it's been wonderful to have you on. Thank you so much for your insights. Um, I'd just like to say that it's always fun to have a conversation with someone who uh, enjoys the same memes as me. So anytime I have the opportunity to talk to you, I always will. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you so much, Chris. It's good to talk to you.